Thank you so much, Restoration, for this time of worship. We praise God for you being here, and we're always blessed when you come. So thank you for sharing the gift of music and the message uh, with us of God's love. Uh, as Kelsey shared earlier, it's been a difficult week um, for our church family and for the Bogus family at the loss of Alice, um, and we praise God that the Bogus family is with us today. Bob and family, our, our prayers are with you. We love you. And just know that, that we're here for you, to support you. The family would also like me to let you know that there will be a memorial service for Alice to honor her memory uh, next Saturday at 3 o'clock right here at the Spring Meadows Church. So we invite you to come to celebrate Alice and to praise God for who she was to each one of you here and uh, the special person that she was. And it's, it's times like this where we, we praise God for the blessed hope, amen, that Jesus is coming soon and that we have hope in him. Praise the Lord. One other announcement is that today there's going to be a baptism, but it's not here. As a matter of fact, one of our young people's at camp up at Camp Kalakwa, and Caleb Hillman, um, Iris, and Brad's son, and I'll be traveling right after the service to do the baptism. So we're going to celebrate today with them, even though you're, you're not there unless you want to drive up to camp. Uh, but we're going to be celebrating uh, Caleb giving his heart to Jesus this afternoon. So keep him in prayer as well. We praise God for that. Amen. This bar is for a word of prayer as we spend some time worshiping the Lord through his word. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today. Lord, knowing that you are an awesome and a gracious God, a loving God, we thank you so much for the time of worship we've experienced already where we've been able to lift our hearts up to you and warm your heart so, Father, we pray that as we enter your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Touch my lips that the words that I speak may be from you and not from myself. And Lord, may we be transformed into the likeness of Jesus as a result of being here today. We thank you and ask this all in his powerful and precious name. Amen. Let us turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter Eric's coming. Let me just switch the battery quick, and I'll be right back with you. They do an incredible job every week, and the time they spend doing what they do and the dedication they have, we just praise God for each one of you. John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
What's it say? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus, who is called the Logos here in Greek, the Word. It's the same Logos that we see here in this verse that, that spoke the world into existence, that spoke the animals, it spoke everything we see, all matter, the universe into existence. Because when Jesus speaks, things happen. When Jesus speaks, things come into existence. He is the Word of God. Verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The God of eternity, the Word, the Logos, Jesus, comes down and takes on human flesh. And now the Bible says that this Word, the Word that spoke and brought everything into existence, now comes down and is born as a baby, takes on human form. The Word became flesh. And now we were able to understand just a little bit more what God was like through Jesus. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. We see the character of God through the Word coming down. When Jesus was here on earth, he performed miracle after miracle. He spoke amazing things, things that, that transformed lives, still transform our lives today. One thing that's amazing is, is he was performing miracles. Many times he would do something interesting. He would spit in the dirt, put mud on somebody's eyes, or stick his fingers in somebody's ear. He would touch them and bring wholeness back to a broken body. But there are other times where Jesus didn't touch him at all. There's a few instances where Jesus simply speaks the word and his will is accomplished. The Syrophoenician woman's daughter who was demon-possessed or, or the centurion's servant. These were individuals who, who came to Jesus on behalf of somebody else and said, Jesus, please heal my daughter, heal my servant. And so Jesus says, go, they are healed. And the Bible says when they got home, got to where they were at, his word was fulfilled. One thing we see about Jesus is that his word is just as good as his touch. When Jesus speaks, things happen. When Jesus speaks, bodies become whole. When Jesus speaks, lives are transformed. When Jesus speaks, we have hope. When Jesus speaks, relationships are mended. When Jesus speaks, healing takes place. When Jesus speaks, he has the ability to create the realities that he communicates. If we were alive maybe a millennia ago, a thousand years, one thing that would be evident is that many cultures during that time did not, according to many historians, did not understand or have a word for the color blue. So if we were playing the game, I spy with my little eye something blue and you see my tie, there was nothing to describe it in certain cultures. And so there has been people who've done studies on this, and there was a psychologist named Jules Davidoff who did an experiment with a, the Himba tribe in Nambia who do not have a word for blue. And so he goes to this tribe and he makes a color wheel, but it's all green because green, they have many words for green, but not for blue. 
and he makes this color wheel of all green except for one blue square. And he shows it to each person in the tribe, and person after person looks at this. But nobody picks out the blue one. So what's the deal? How, how can they not see the color blue? Well, they had no word to describe it, so therefore they weren't used to seeing it. Even though the sky is blue, they used a different term for the word sky. It was a shade of green to them. And so seeing blue was something they weren't used to even identifying. It didn't mean that blue didn't exist. It just means they didn't understand it. Could it be that for us, through expressed in words, we become realities as well? Things that are expressed in words become realities in our lives. Even the things we don't have words to describe. You know, I, I realized this very quickly when I started dating my wife that certain things from, from Spanish do not translate into English. They have certain words that we don't have. And so I remember that my wife, once that, when we were dating, she goes, do you smell that? I was like, smell what? She goes, oh. She goes, I smell it. It's chuquillo. I said, chuquillo? I said, what is that? She goes, you know, chuquillo. I said, I have no clue. I've never heard of that. I took Spanish class. That wasn't in the vocabulary. She, she goes, oh, you know, you know that smell like a, like a wet dog or like that eggy smell on the plate after it's been washed not right? I said, yeah, I guess. She goes, that's chuquillo. And I was like, oh, I, I guess. But, you know, after she taught me that word, I started smelling it everywhere, her plates, outside. I was like, why'd you tell me that word? You ruined it. Many times, unless we have something or a word to identify something, it simply does not relate to us. We, we don't identify it or it simply doesn't seem to exist. Words are a powerful, powerful thing. I was told recently, and please don't correct me if, <laughs> if I was led astray, that if you're Equatorian and you're talking to a fellow Equatorian, that an endearing term is ñaño. Is that, is that true? Ñaño. So Frank, Frank's confirming that. That's good. So you're, you're my ñaño, Frank. Love you, brother. <laughs> Even though I'm not from Ecuador. So, sister or brother. So, so, so when I heard that term, I was taken back because in our house, we had a cat, and its nickname was ñaño. So I was like, well, ñaño, that's, that's a cat. No, no, it's, it's, it's an Equatorian. I'm not comparing, by the way. No, please. <laughs> so we all have a, a point of reference of what things mean based on our experience. Let me ask a question today. How many of us here believe that words hold little power? That words don't have the ability to transform situations, transform lives, to affect things in a big way? All we have to do is look through history just a little bit to notice that words can, are one of the most powerful things in existence. Some of the greatest movements forward in history, accomplishments, achievements, were accomplished through the power of the spoken and written word, including God's word. At the same time, we see that some of the greatest atrocities throughout history, including what we see in Nazi Germany, took place because of the use and misuse of words and the influence that words can have. Words are a powerful, powerful thing. That's why Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Words hold great weight and influence. They're transformative. They shape what reality is. They describe our reality that we see around us or our perception of it. 
our words are powerful. They influence the direction of our life. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. The main passage for today, James chapter 3. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And he's writing the church. In chapter 3, and, and by the way, we're continuing our series on renewing relationships. We talked about the church the first week. Last week we talked about fatherhood and spiritual fathers in the church. What a powerful message, Pastor Barrientos. Thank you so much. And now we're talking about communication, an all-essential element of relationships. So what does the Bible say about the power of our words? Verse 1, James says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For those who are teachers, pastors, leaders, this is strong language. To whom much is given, much will be required, as Jesus said. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. James is being a little facetious here because he knows how hard it is to bridle the tongue or the words that we speak. He says, if you've accomplished that, you've made it. You've gotten there. If you can bridle your tongue, you can handle anything. Verse 3, he continues, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Verse 4 says, Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts what? Great things. The tongue is a little member of the body, a little muscle, but it boasts great, great things. He's identifying what we've been talking about all along, that our words and our tongue, our language is a powerful thing, a powerful tool for good or for destruction and for evil. Many times our words can affect our lives as individuals. What we say about ourselves has a huge impact about who we are and who we become. Words are like seeds. By speaking them aloud, they become ingrained in our subconscious minds. And then what happens is they will sprout and take root and produce fruit of some kind in our lives. So maybe you've experienced this in your life. Maybe you've, you've looked at things and you've, you've talked about yourself and you believe things about yourself because maybe you've heard them. Maybe you've said, I'll, I'll never amount to anything or my marriage is never going to work out, or, or nothing good's ever going to happen to me, or, or, or my life is just horrible. It's, it's never going to get better. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt like everything is going wrong and, and there's nothing good? We say a lot of things to ourselves. We call it self-talk. Interesting thing, in mind, character, and personality, Ellen White says this, In page 575, she says, our words influence us. She says, the words are more than an indication of character. They have power to react on the character. So she's saying they're just not an indicator of our character. They can transform us and change our character. Men are influenced by their own words, she says. If we think the words that we speak even to ourselves do not matter, they hold great weight into who we become and how our character is formed and transformed. I remember 
when I was living in Reading, Pennsylvania, um, we were pastoring there, and we were doing inner-city inner ministry, and we had a VBS downtown. We had about 200 kids coming out from the city, and there was a little boy named Hector, and, and when Hector came to the meetings, he just kind of latched on to us as leaders. Come to find out, um, his dad wasn't around. He was in prison, and he was a, had a single mom, and just kind of was allowed to roam the streets. Six years old, just a, just a young kid. And I remember as, as we were walking him home one day after our VBS, and then we formed a kids club for the kids there in the community, that I said, Hector, I said, I said what do you want to do when you grow up? And Hector said, he goes, nothing. I said, well, what do you mean, nothing? He goes, I'm not going to do anything when I grow up. I said, why do you say that? He said, because when I grow up, I'm going to be in jail. I said, Hector, I said, why would you say that? He goes, that's where my dad's at. That's where I'm going to be. Somehow in this little boy's mind, he formulated this idea about himself that he was going to be just like his father. He's going to end up in prison. No matter how he got there, he didn't know. But one day, he would end up there too. Our words are a powerful thing, even from a young age. Our words influence and shape our lives. But they just don't shape our lives. They also shape the lives of other people. James chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. Turn there with me again. He continues on about our words, the tongue. He says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is, it is an unruly evil. You can't handle it. You can't tame it. You can't rein it in, he's saying. And it's full of deadly poison. It's like a, a serpent. And here's why he says this. He says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. He's not just talking about fellow Christians. He's talking about human beings in general who have been made in the image of God. We bless God and we curse other people. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? He asked the question. Words influence the direction of our lives, but also the direction of other people's lives. The choice of our words make a difference. Jesus takes this matter very seriously. You know, as we think about how our words shape our character, how they transform us, remember the saying, watch your thoughts for they become your words. Watch your words for they become your actions. Watch your actions for they become your habits. Watch your habits for they become your character. And watch your character for it becomes your destiny. That also impacts how we relate to other people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, He's talking to the Pharisees, and this seems harsh, but he says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? And here's the key. He says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and for by your words you will be condemned. What gives? Why is Jesus saying this? It sounds so harsh. And if we look at our lives, we're saying, man, which one of us can ever be saved in the kingdom? And we think about the words of Jesus because we've all messed up and we probably all regularly mess up with our words. Probably none of us have learned to bridle the tongue. 
what Jesus is saying here, not that we're saved or lost by our words, he's just saying it indicates who has our heart because that's where our words proceed from. He also says, it says in the Bible, actually Paul says, that if we confess Jesus with our tongues, but also believe with him with our heart, that we will be saved. It's the same principle. It's believing Jesus with our heart, and out of our heart flows the proclamation that we trust him, and we share that with other people. Because we cannot be silent about the love and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It is simply the fruit of what's happening within us. So maybe we need a reality check, all of us, including myself, what comes out of our heart. Our mouths, our words are a window to our heart. That's what Jesus is saying. It's something for us to look at, to pay attention to, to ask God to show us what's happening, to take some time of introspection to see what God has to do within our lives. Because Jesus knows that our words are a powerful thing. Because we can pronounce a curse on other people's lives as well. Our children, our spouses, our friends. We can say, maybe you've had this happen in your family. Why can't you be more like your sister? You can't do anything right. You're always forgetting everything. You're so clumsy. You're always going to be a failure. You can't do anything right. Have you ever heard those words before? Those words are painful. As Kelsey said, sticks and stones may break my bones. And we say, but words will never hurt me. But that's not the reality. They affect us deeply. And some of us, words that were spoken to us as kids are still affecting us. We still have this mindset about who we are based on what other people have said about us. And we're scarred, we're damaged, we're broken. And we're still trying to live opposite of what those words may have said. Just think of Jacob for a second. Jacob, whose name simply meant deceiver. Every time his mom called him, she was calling him Liar, come to dinner. That is terrible. Why would they name him? Well, we know he was holding the heel of Esau. But man, to, to name your kid liar, what do you think is going to happen to that kid? I, although Harry, literally Harry is not a great name either for Esau. H-A-I-R-Y. So they, they chose names that were very descriptive. But is it any wonder that Jacob ends up becoming what he was called every single day of his life? He becomes the deceiver that his name described. Many times as we speak negativity to other people, it damages their perception, our perception, their value to God as, as far as they see themselves. You know, many times, even in the body of Christ, we're guilty of tearing other people down. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, if you'll turn there with me, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful, and this this is key, helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. This is a key verse. Write this down and mark it in your Bibles. Whatever we say, to whomever we say it, it should fit these parameters. It should always build up, never tear down, Always encourage, never discourage. It should always look for the best instead of pointing out the worst. Because it doesn't only benefit the person we're talking about, but also the one that is listening. Let us gauge everything we say by this standard. 
Eve, especially in the church of Jesus. You know, there's two things that we see taking place, and this is, this is in the Bible as well. We see things called gossip and slander. Gossip and slander. Have you ever heard of those two? Unfortunately, we're probably all guilty of both, and here's why, because when you look at what they mean, we've all done it. So, so basically, gossip is sharing confidential or negative information, and we've all done that. Raise your hand if you haven't. Okay, there we go. Glad we're all on the same page. With someone who's not part of the problem or the solution. Okay? We've all done that. Come on now. You're not part of the problem or the solution, and you're sharing the information with somebody else. Hey, did you hear? No me digas. Ay, no. <laughs> Chismosos. But we're all guilty. But what about slander? Slander is even a little more devious because this one's really intentional. Slander is sharing information with the intent of actually discounting or damaging somebody's reputation. That's when it's really, really harsh. (laughs) We're intentionally trying to hurt or harm somebody. And we're all guilty of that too, to make ourselves look good at times. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, man, they're really not doing well here. It's a shame they didn't give me that position. Things would be a lot better, you know? <laughs> you know how it goes. <clears throat> One thing about our words that we have to remember, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace. I love this. <laughs> Although it stings, because too often we don't fulfill this. Let your conversation always be full of grace, as if we're talking about a meal here. He's saying that everything you do and say be flavored with grace. May all of your words be seasoned with grace and seasoned with salt, flavorful, positive, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Sometimes we don't realize, but wherever we go, we create an atmosphere. I'm always reminded of the Peanuts gang. Remember Pigpen? Man, that, that poor kid. Everywhere he went, he had this cloud of dirt surrounding him. He just, just kind of kept like his own little planet surrounding him. Wherever he went, he had this cloud of dirt and dust. Man, that must have been rough being Pigpen. But the reality is many of us, wherever we go, create the environment that surrounds us by how we speak, what we speak, and how we act. Everywhere we go, we are emanating an environment and communicating things through our means of communication. Have you ever heard of the 738-55 rule? So you all know that communication is, is very little in the, in the way of words, right? So basically, our words account for 7% of communication. The words that you speak only account for 7%. That's, that's minuscule. And so other than words, your tone of the words account for 38% of communication. So it's how you say it, and then 55% of communication is your body language. Man. So remember, really, it's, it's a little about what you say, but it's how you say it that really can make the biggest difference in the world. And so guys, husbands, and maybe boyfriends, you know when you go to your significant other, 
and you know something's troubling them, and you say, is everything okay? And they go, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> you know everything's not fine. <laughs> and so then you enter the game of 20 questions to find out what's going on, right? <laughs> and then gir girls, it's your boyfriends and husbands, you go up to them and you can tell they're a little frustrated or something, you go, are you okay? And we go, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm fine. Then you enter 20 questions because you know we're not fine, and so you do the same thing with us to try to get out why we're not fine, even though we keep saying we are fine. We don't admit it. But what we say makes a difference. Our words, our body language, all these things make a difference. There's a powerful quote that I read this week <clears throat> that made me reevaluate a lot, of, even about me as a parent and about a person. Um, this is found <clears throat> in in the book, The, uh, the Adventist Home. And <clears throat> it says this. This is a letter to an individual, but it opened my eyes, and the principles were, were very eye-opening. Ellen White says, My brother, your overbearing words hurt your children. As they advance in years, their tendency to criticize will grow. Fault-finding is corrupting your life and is extending to your wife and to your children. Your children are not encouraged to give you the, their confidence or to acknowledge their faults. L listen to this. Because they know that your stern rebuke is sure to follow, your words are often so des desolate, like desolating hell which breaks down tender plants. It is impossible to estimate the harm thus done. Then she says, your children practice deception in order to avoid the hard words you speak. Oh, man. They will evade the truth to escape censor and punishment. A hard, cold command will do them no good. Man. How, you know what this is saying? It's saying many times we can even promote dishonesty because of how harsh and unkind we can be. And obviously it's up to each one of us whether we lie or not. We can't take full responsibility. But how we say things, the tone, the attitude can have a huge bearing on how people respond, especially with our kids. Man, have mercy on us. You know, wherever we go, we create an environment. In our homes, at work, in our neighborhoods, at church, wherever we're at, we can be like pig pen or or we can be that, that grace, that atmosphere of, of love and acceptance. That atmosphere that transforms because Jesus is shining through us. And sometimes we're, we're going back and forth between the two, unfortunately. We, we were in a, Ikea yesterday. How many of you have been to Ikea before? Some, this is the first time I've been to the one here. I haven't been to one in years. And so, so unfortunately, I had forgotten. I got stuck on that trail of tears that you can't get off of. I was like, man, I need to get out of here. And I had to walk through the whole store, and then I got stuck in the bottom section. Then I got stuck in that whole trail. It was like 20 minutes after I needed to leave. Then the door's locked. You can't even get out into the other area. You have to go walk around. They're very smart because there's all sorts of cool stuff there they want you to buy. But as we were walking out, we smelled, the, we smelled these cinnamon buns. I was like, oh, man. You, you smelled them there before? It's like you're in the mall, and the, the cinnamon store is right there. And I see these, these cinnamon buns sitting there. And I say to my wife, I said, Miriam, I said, you know, they put that through the, through the air system to get us to buy these cinnamon buns. Because I've heard of places doing this. And she goes, I don't, I don't think so. I was like, yeah, I'm telling you. Look, they're right here. They're just already cooked. They're just sitting there wrapped up. 
And then we get over to the counter, and here they had fresh-baked ones. I was wrong. It was real cinnamon buns. <laughs> fresh-baked. But it did create an environment that made us want some cinnamon buns, even though we didn't buy one eventually. It made us want them. <laughs> what we create, the atmosphere that we exude, can also draw people to Jesus or push them away. What atmosphere do we create through our words today? One thing that we, that we struggle with, and, and we're talking about you know, gossip and slander, but, but many times we, we think, and I'm just not here to talk about positivity because we can't just talk our way to a positive view like, like Tony Robbins. I'm not talking about that kind of motivational speaking. I'm talking about a biblical concept of what words do to us, how they affect us, and how the Bible says we should communicate with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and how that affects the mission and the kingdom of God. These are real issues. These are real heavy things when it comes to our mission as Christians. This is where the rubber meets the road. And sometimes we're guilty of the total opposite because we we don't want to deal with stuff. We just don't talk about it. And in that way, we're, we're being dishonest in a, in a different way. That there is a time to talk about difficult things. You know, when something is happening in somebody's life and we see it, we can ignore it. We can go lovingly help them. Or we can go talk about that to somebody else. But I hope we would choose the first one. What's that look like? You know, many times we, we take three different roads. We can be a, a peace breaker, which is when we're antagonistic. That can be gossip or slander, or maybe just we're, we're angry and belittling people. We can be peace breakers. We can also be, be peace fakers. That's those of us who see a situation and we, we, we shy away from it because we don't want to deal with it. That's not really being effective in any way. And so we see something that's, that's delicate, and so we say, I, I don't want to deal with that. It's too... too too, uh, too delicate to, to talk about, and we let it consume us or the other person. Then there's peacemakers, and these are individuals who lovingly have conversations, honest conversations with each other about difficult things in a loving, gracious way. I'm growing there. <laughs> But God calls us to be peacemakers, not peace breakers or peace fakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes we're called to have fierce, honest, crucial conversations with other people. So what does God call us to be and how to address each other as Christians? How can we reverse the curse that many times words bring into our lives, that words bring into sometimes even the church of God? I believe it's, it's found in the Old Testament. And it's found in Genesis chapter 27, verse 25. Remember, in James chapter 3, it says, with the same mouth we bless and we curse. What if we made it a practice as the body of Christ to always bless, even in the difficult conversations that our words would always be a blessing? Because even the difficult conversation should be done with grace and love and understanding, and patience. What if our words were always, always a blessing to somebody else? What would it look like? 
Genesis chapter 27, we see the Old Testament picture of a blessing. I love what Gary Smalley, Gary Smalley the, family, uh, the family man on the radio, talks about this. It's called a blessing, a biblical blessing. In verse 25 of Genesis chapter 27, and to get here, obviously, Jacob deceives his father. This isn't a good scenario. But I want us to pay attention to the elements of this blessing that Isaac bestows upon Jacob. Verse 25, it says, Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, that I may give you a blessing. And so Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and and he drank. Verse 26, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. (laughs) You know, my son's 13. He still might kiss me on the cheek, but I know it's, it's it's probably a matter of time. But he calls Jacob, come give me a hug. He was an adult at this point. But Isaac says, you're not too old to come give your father a hug. And so a biblical blessing, when appropriate, entails a meaningful touch. A meaningful touch. Maybe it's a hand on the shoulder. Maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's a handshake. I don't know. Maybe it's nothing during COVID. Or maybe you don't like anything like that. That's fine. Maybe it's an air hug. But a biblical blessing many times, most of the time, entails, number one, a meaningful touch. It makes a big difference to our kids, to our families, to our friends, to our brothers and sisters. But secondly, we see the the blessing continues here. We see in verse 27, it says, So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. What's he saying here? He speaks a message of affection and love towards his son. And he thought it was obviously Esau. But he's sharing a message of affection, something specific to this individual that he loved about them. And maybe when we're blessing somebody, we should point out something that God has blessed them with and a point of appreciation and affirmation. Saying, you know what? I see God has done this in your life. He's given you this gift. I see this about you that God has given you, and I praise God for that. Speak a message of affection and love, appreciation. There's a difference between, between affirmation and flattery. Flattery is always done for selfish reasons or something else. We flatter people because we want to get in good with them or we want them to do something for us. But true biblical affirmation, which we don't practice enough, is to praise God for what he's doing in somebody's life. Because all glory goes to him. That's biblical affirmation. That's biblical blessing. A meaningful touch, a spoken message of affection and love. I appreciate you and what God has done in your life. Number three, we see it continues. He says in verse 27 again, he attaches a high value on the one being blessed. He attaches a high value. He said, the smell of the field the Lord has blessed. God's blessing is on you, and he blesses him with that. Verse 28 then, he says, may God give you of heaven's dew, of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. Verse 29, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord of your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. You might not want to use that one. <laughs> that might not come across too well to most people. Or even applicable. But, but notice what's happening here. Isaac speaks by faith a special future into the life of his son, the one being blessed. 
And maybe God's called us as we're blessing somebody, as we're, as we're sharing what we appreciate, we speak a special message of God's future for them, saying, I know God has plans for you, good things in store for your life, his blessings, and I know you're going through something horrible right now, but God has something in store for you. To encourage them. We're told also that we should encourage those fellow pilgrims who are finding it hard along the way. Speak words of courage and hope. Ellen White says, There is many a brave soul, sorely pressed by temptation, almost ready to faint in the conflict with self and the powers of evil. Do not discourage such a one in this hard struggle. Cheer him with brave, hopeful words that shall urge him on his way, lest the light of Christ may shine from you. As we bless others, the light of Jesus shines from us into the life of somebody who needs to hear it. And if you pray every day, and I, and I challenge you with this, pray that God will use you and open a door to encourage and to affirm and to bless somebody. He will open door after door. He will, he will make your circumstances such where, where you will be brought in tune in line with people you never expected to bless, to encourage. And then number five. And here's where we usually forget it, an ongoing commitment to the one being blessed. Sometimes we say, God bless, we appreciate you, and we move on. <laughs> but there's a commitment when we, when we bless somebody, when we affirm them. We're also saying to them, I'm committed to walk alongside you in your journey. And to be your friend, to be your helper, whatever I can do to be of support. And not just lip service, but reality. <clears throat> So Hector, when he shared with me that he was believing he was going to go to prison when he was an adult, my heart just, <clears throat> my heart just broke right there. I was like, how in the world can this six-year-old boy believe that this is his future? <laughs> There's got to be more for this kid than that. And often, too many times, we see that is the reality eventually. But I said, Hector, I said, I said, you know, what have you been learning in, in vacation Bible school? What have you been learning in our, in our kids' club? Because, well, well, Jesus loves me. I said, yeah. I said, what else have you learned about how God feels about you? He goes, well, that he loves me and, and he, he wants me to be with him. I said, yeah. I said, he, he wants you to be with him. And I said, you know what else? I said, he has plans for your life. He, he, his plan is not for you to be in prison. He has good things in store for you. And he looked at me with these wide eyes and a smile as if he had never heard anything like that in his life. That somehow he had a future. It's not because of anything I said. It's because of what God was speaking into his heart. I moved away. I don't know what happened to Hector. But I still pray for him quite often when he comes to my mind. Because he's a precious child of God, just like each one of us here. Remember, our words hold tremendous influence in each other's lives. With our children, our church, our neighborhood, our spouses. How are we declaring blessings on others' lives? And if we're guilty of the negative stuff, we can do two things. We can stop doing it, and we can also refuse to listen. So there's two. It takes somebody to listen for slander and gossip to take place. If we refuse to listen, gossip and slander disappear. 
And so what if we commit as a body of Christ to say, we are going to encourage, we are going to affirm, we are going to bless, and that that is not going to be part of anything. And I praise God for this church because this church is an amazingly loving church. (laughs) Amen? This church is an amazingly loving church. And I praise God that we experience his love and his grace, friendship, friendliness, and love. But what if we kicked it up a notch and all of us begin to affirm each other, to bless each other, to bless in our homes, to bless in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, to share God's blessing with those around us. It would transform the atmosphere everywhere you are at. And God's kingdom would be established and expanded through that atmosphere, through the scent of Jesus, through the flavor of grace, through the salt in your life. When Jesus speaks, things change. When Jesus speaks, lives are changed. When Jesus speaks, healing takes place. And many of us here have come with broken hearts, broken lives, sometimes broken bodies. But when Jesus speaks into your life, change occurs. Because when Jesus speaks, the reality that he speaks is accomplished. And it never, ever goes forth and doesn't accomplish what Jesus intends. And so remember, many times we need to be healed so that we can be a healing influence to other people. Hurt people hurt other people. Many times we hurt others because we're hurting. Ask Jesus for healing in your heart as well so that you can also bless others. We all have hurts. We all have pains and scars. But Jesus is the divine healer. He's the great physician. He can reach down into your heart and bring about the change and the healing that you need, that I need. But he asks us to do one thing. He just says, trust me and surrender to me, and I'll take care of the rest. I want to leave you with the blessing of 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and Father and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement, And good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May the strength of Jesus encompass us, embrace us, and surround us and exude itself through us by the grace and love of God. Amen.
once again, Restoration, for being here with us, for blessing us today. At this time, we have an opportunity to share our blessing with a group who is going on our mission trip this week. I'd like to call them forward, and also our pastors, if you'd come and join me as we say a prayer of blessing on our group. They're heading to Arizona tomorrow to the Navajo Nation Reservation, where they'll be ministering. Come up here on behalf of this church and other churches too represented. You can just join me up in the platform here if that's okay. We want to praise God for those who have been able to contribute. I know we've been collecting supplies for the children on the reservation, so thank you for all who have been able to contribute supplies and funds for this mission trip. 
We have an amazing team here, ready to go, excited. And we wanted to just offer God's blessing to you today. And we appreciate you because of your willingness to go and to be God's presence in the lives of these individuals who need to know Jesus. And we praise God for your willingness to, to be those individuals as you travel and you go there. We know that God's going to do amazing things through you. He's already prepared the soil. He's already doing things ahead of time. And he's going to fulfill his purpose through your lives. And so thank you for the courage to step out and to go in the mission of Jesus. And so we want to send you with a blessing and a prayer. So if we can, pastors, maybe lay hands, if you're comfortable, (laughs) with someone next to you as we pray together and just offer God's blessing to this group. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, for the humble privilege that it is to serve you, to be part of your mission, because none of us are worthy. All of us are are broken, frail, unworthy to even be called your children. But Lord, you've made us worthy through Jesus. You've called us to be part of your kingdom, your family, and your mission. We thank you for this group who is heading to the Navajo Reservation to be your presence with these individuals, to share your love in tangible ways as well as in spiritual ways. We pray that you would just surround them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, and Lord, may lives be transformed as a result of this time there with these people. We pray, Lord, that you would already be preparing the soil as you have been to accomplish what your word has already declared, that your kingdom would be established and expanded wherever this group goes, and that lives may be drawn closer to Jesus, that they may see Jesus in this group. Lord, we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. Surround them with your protection, with your love and your grace, and we thank you. And that's this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week when we come back together again.